Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host Jason Brooks. Thank you for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Turkey's President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has increasingly strengthened his grip over his country, first as prime minister and then as president, withstanding a coup attempt in 2016. While Erdogan has increasingly moved Turkey from its century-old secular political traditions toward a more Islamic-leaning authoritarian society, Istanbul's mayoral election could be a turning point for Turkey. The crisis next door is joined by Mustafa Akul, senior fellow at the Cato Institute, as well as an opinion writer for the New York Times and author of The Islamic Jesus and Islam Without Extremes. Mustafa, thank you for joining The Crisis Next Door. Thank you, Jason. It's my pleasure. And, and, and all the turkeys grim, you know, it's my pleasure to speak about it as well. <laughs> it's not often that a mayoral election is looked at as a harbinger of national change. But that's the narrative surrounding Ekrem Amamulu's victory in the initial round of voting in Istanbul's mayoral election. Imamulu is a member of the opposition Republic People's Party, CHP for short. Mustafa, why is this election so important and why is it a potential blow for Erdogan's ruling Justice and Development Party? Uh, sure, I'll be happy to try to explain. And let me begin by noting this. Uh, I mean, as you said, uh, President Erdogan, he was first prime minister and became president. He's ruling Turkey for 17 years now, the longest ever Turkish leader you know, in power in terms of his uh, mandate. And and he's, his rule has become quite authoritarian. I mean, he now dominates 90% of the media. The judiciary has become mainly an arm of the government. So a lot of freedom of speech has gone down dramatically and so on and so forth. So it's a very authoritarian scene. However, you know, countries are complex. And Turkey, one thing that has still survived in Turkey, which looks like a democracy, is the ballots. Turkey has a decent uh, system of uh, op uh, uh, open counting and uh, objective uh, elections, uh, not not absolutely fair, but at least free elections that are not rigged. So that's why, you know, President Erdogan has been winning with small margins, 51, 52 percent of the votes. Uh, but ultimately, and, and he has some certain popularity uh, among certain uh, segments of the population. But with the economy going down and with uh, corruption, nepotism, uh, growing disenfranchisement with that in broad segments of society, his votes, his votes started to go down. And last, uh, a few, last, in a few months, you know, in Istanbul, we saw two rounds of that uh, as a testimony to that. First of all, actually, the local elections were held in March. Uh, this is municipal election, so it's not general election. So it was just one city. But Istanbul is Turkey's biggest city. It controls almost one-third of Turkish economy and resources and uh, corruption or nepotism resources as well for governments that are involved in that. Uh, and it's a trendsetter. And that, that's why Erdogan badly wanted to keep Istanbul. Uh, but the opposition candidate, Ekrem Imamoglu, won with a very small margin in March 31st. That was a shock to the opposition party. 
That's why they pushed for a rerun. They found pretext, uh, which nobody believed in other than their own supporters, to force the judiciary for a rerun, hoping that they will get it the second time. However, what happened uh, last Sunday is that they actually had a landslide loss, uh, pr precisely because they forced for a rerun and uh, interfered in the uh, electoral process. I think more people switched to the opposition side. So in that sense, there was a, a probably President Erdogan had the greatest electoral defeat he had uh, since he has been in power uh, since 2002. Uh, this is not going to change right away the dynamics in the country. Erdogan is still the president, still he has a lot of power. Uh, but his, his the idea that he's invincible, that he will win every election, I think that's broken. And Turkish politics has a new star, which is the new mayor of Istanbul, Ekrem Imamoğlu. Imamoğlu certainly focused his campaign on plurality, inclusiveness, saying his victory opened a new page for Istanbul and that on that page there will be justice, equality and love. Is this a victory for democracy in Turkey? It is. I mean, again, as I said, Turkey's democratic credentials don't look bright right now, and I don't think things will become very rosy in a foreseeable future. But it is a victory. It's, it is at least a hope that Turkey's the power can change hands democratically. With, because there was this very strong feeling that this government is sticking to power, it, it is clinging on to power, it will never leave. And those worries are still there, I should say. We don't know what will happen in a general election. But at least we have seen that the mood can change and that mood can influence the country. And as you said, I think the most important thing was that Ekrem Yumomolu, the opposition candidate, he won uh, precisely by breaking this poisonous uh, polarization in the country. That polarization is, you know, in the in the narrative of President Erdogan and his propaganda machine, which is much of the media, it always speaks about the enemies of our country within. There are traitors and there are you know, true patriots. And, of course, true patriots are the people who support our president and the traitors are people in the opposition. So it's a very divisive, venomous rhetoric. And the good thing about Ekrem Yomoldo, and I think his secret, is that he didn't just mirror that. He didn't say, no, you are the traitors. He didn't say, no, you are evil. He said, no, we love everybody. We want to bring peace to this country. We want to bring peace of mind. Uh, uh, the people who don't vote for us, we are their you know, representatives as well. He kind of brought a more civil and respectful tone, which is, I think, a good lesson for any politician who wants to uh, stand up to populist politicians who are preaching division and hate. I think, globally speaking, Istanbul's always been considered one of the more liberal cities in Turkey. Is this victory something that's more particular to Istanbul, or are other major cities in Turkey also leaning toward opposition members and away from the ruling party? Istanbul is certainly Turkey's most cosmopolitan city, uh, but also it has very conservative neighborhoods as well. So it's actually a microcosm of the whole whole country. Uh, and that's why, I mean, President Erdogan has been quite powerful in Istanbul, too. His party has been winning Istanbul, and that is because Istanbul has a very strong conservative constituency as well. So, uh, but yes, it is, but what is important is that in Turkey, people who vote for President Erdogan have been traditionally religious conservatives. But among them, there are more cosmopolitan ones. There are more educated ones. There are ones who care more about the economy, there, uh, especially in terms of integration into the global economy. 
there are those who care about human rights to some extent and so on and so forth. So I think he, President Erdogan began to lose that segment, which made a big difference here. Regarding, I mean, the urban versus uh, rural uh, division, it is, I mean, I should note that uh, the opposition won not just Istanbul, but Ankara, the capital of the country, Izmir, the third city. Actually, most major cities have been won by the opposition in this election. And to President Erdogan, that is an alarming sign because cities are trendsetters. Uh, that is the younger generation. That is the more educated, more more upper class gener- uh, segment of society. So the more he uh, loses people in that side, the more parochial his politics will become. Uh, so in the, yeah, in that sense, it's Istanbul plus the other big cities. How is Umamulu's victory being portrayed across Turkey? Erdogan has certainly been effective in controlling the media on top of purges in the civil service and, and elsewhere. Uh, it, it is true. I mean, I think if you go to Turkey today and pick up the newspapers on the shelves, like nine out of ten newspapers will be pro-government, basically. And that was made possible because uh, the owners of those newspapers, which were more centrist papers, were forced to buy the, sell their newspapers and the uh, and the institutions were bought by uh, businessmen who are very close to our president, and they changed the direction of that newspaper. So there has been a very interesting, uh, quote-unquote, confiscation of Turkish media that has been going on. So that's why when you look at the, those pro-government newspapers, uh, they will try to minimize the success of Imam Oğlu as much as they can. Uh, and they will, uh, they will, you know, say Erdogan is in power, and we still have the same goals, and so on and so forth. But Turkey, I mean, is not a, an authoritarian regime, at least in a classical sense, in full. Uh, Tur- there's there is social media in Turkey, which is huge. Turkey is one of the top users of Twitter in the world, uh, other social media platforms as well. So President Erdogan was able to silence much of the media, most of the media, or at least uh, tame, let's say. But people find other venues. And I think all across the country, this, uh, this success of Imam Oldu is deeply felt. Uh, and it has given hope to people that, that are in the opposition. Interesting you mentioned social media. I, I just remember in 2016, President Erdogan taking to social media to get his message across during the coup attempts. A very, very vivid memory. While Imamulu has really hammered that pro-democracy message, is this even more about pocketbook politics? Turkey's economy is in a shambles after a period of heavy infrastructure spending thanks to heavy borrowing. Is the economy the perhaps even the more critical factor here for the voters? Economy is probably the most critical factor indeed. President Erdogan had a pretty good actually success story in the beginning for about a decade. He run he ran economy well. But he did this with a team of really smart, educated professionals uh, like uh, ministers of finance like people like uh, treasury like Ali Babajan these were kind of real uh, people who knew how to how to run an economy in an efficient way the what happened was that president Erdogan started to replace those people in the past 5 years because they didn't fully bow down to some of the nepotistic or corrupt measures uh, that were now the new direction of the party. And, they, and those people were replaced by sycophants, by conspiracy theorists. Uh, I mean, Erdogan wasted the expertise that had brought him success in the beginning. And ultimately, he ended up with a economic crisis or an economic, radical economic decline. I mean, Turkish lira 
lost an incredible value against the dollar, against all other foreign currencies. So certainly that is having an impact. But also I think it is important that uh, Imam Oğlu has been able to break the divisions of what what I can call Turkey's culture war. A bit like in the U.S., you know, Turkey is a country divided deeply on cultural lines, you know, conservatives on the one side, you know, secular liberals on the other side. And uh, f- and for a long time, Turkey's secularists were looking down upon the religious as ignorant people, as as people from the Middle Ages, and so on and so forth. Uh, and and that was helping President Erdogan to enlist all religious conservatives behind himself. But Imam Oğlu also broke that. I mean, he reached out to the average Turk. Uh, he has no problem with religion. He actually, after the Christchurch massacre in New Zealand, uh, the attack on a mosque. He went to a mosque and recited the Quran, which was, you know, very unusual for a politician from his own party, which is known for a very strict secularism. I think, uh, in other words, he took the quote-unquote religion card. I think from President Erdogan's monopoly, let's say. Uh, so that that change plus the economic decline and the search for a better Turkey, I think, helped Imam Oğlu to have a success. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about Turkey's political future with Mustafa Akil, senior fellow at the Cato Institute, as well as an opinion writer for The New York Times and author of The Islamic Jesus and Islam Without Extremes. Do you think Erdogan will double down on his authoritarianism or perhaps perhaps soften up a little bit and more towards a pro-democratic move in order to keep support for more of Turkey? Well, that's the million-dollar question. You know, uh, we will we will see in in the months and years ahead. Uh, both options are possible. Although I'm not, I should say, holding my breath for a wonderful return of events. Uh, President Erdogan has the mandates to stay in power until 2023, so he has almost four years to go. Uh, so he will probably use that time to make sure that you know he will be successful in the general elections that will happen the presidential elections exactly what kind of measures he will take for that we will see uh but i mean he must have seen that some of the measures quote unquote he has been taking has been counterproductive like canceling election results uh canceling an election that you lost make people angry at you and actually that helps your opponents so if he's wise he would go for moderation uh, if he is not that wise, he will go for doubling down on authoritarianism, as you said. I, I want to give a chance, but uh, there is no need to be extremely naive as well. Mustafa, how big of a factor is Turkey's role in the Syrian civil war as far as these elections are concerned and how voters are feeling about Turkey? Are Turks supporting the country's move into northern Syria? Not that much. I mean, Turkey's role in the Syrian civil war has been complicated. Uh, from the beginning, uh, Turkey took a stance against the Assad regime, uh, tried to topple the Assad regime by supporting opposition groups. And in that case, Turkey was actually on the same side with the U.S. or France and other Western powers. Uh, but then the growing jihadist threats in Syria, which culminated into ISIS, Turkey had a belated recognition of that, a belated one I'm saying, because, you know, they didn't think that it's a big problem in the beginning, and I think that was a mistake. And after that, Turkey gradually uh, toned down its expectations of toppling Assad. Uh, 
the Kurdish militia there became a concern because they're connected with the PKK, the terrorist group that Turkey has been fighting for. So the ambition to topple Assad has been replaced by a more uh, modest uh, take on let's try to get rid of the terrorist problem that might come from Syria. And Turkey found the friendship there with Russia and Iran to deal with these problems. The biggest, the biggest impact of the uh, Syrian civil war, though, I should say the refugees. Uh, I mean, Turkey has more than 3 million Syrian refugees. It's the biggest refugee uh, number in the whole world. And despite all my criticisms to President Erdogan, I should give his due on this. I mean, Turkey under President Erdogan has been, I should say, compassionate, you know, charitable to the Syrian refugees. Uh, unlike some of the, you know, anti-refugee or immigrant attitudes we see in the world right now in, in the U.S. as well. Um, and, and, and interestingly, actually, in Turkey, the pro-immigrant side is generally pro-Erdogan's party, whereas the opposition is a bit more anti, has a more anti-immigrant stance, and that is a negative for me uh, on behalf of the opposition. Uh, but, of course, that is partly helped by the fact that the refugees are Sunni Muslims, uh, Arab Muslims, and President Erdogan's uh, conservatives, religious conservatives, culturally identify and sympathize with them. But still, yes, I mean, I think Turkey has done a good job at the refugees, and we should all acknowledge that. That certainly is a political irony. Uh, as far as the refugees are concerned, and, and so many in Turkey, is that having much of an impact on the country's economy? It is. I mean, first of all, it is sometimes leading to tensions between refugees and the natives in certain neighborhoods. When when a crime incident happens, people, of course, one person makes something wrong, and then people can think, oh, it's the Syrians, you know, them, and, and generalize against And that happens everywhere. Uh, and also, it's a heavy toll, too. I mean, some refugees contribute to the economy. They're, they found jobs. They, they are now integrating in Turkish society. But it is a burden. It's a burden that Turkey partly shares with Europe, I should say. I mean, Turkey has gotten got support from European countries, uh, but it's not an easy task. And uh, I believe in being being fair to every regime, and I will say President Erdogan, his governing party, has been quite authoritarian dramatically in the past five years, and that hurt a lot of innocent people in Turkey. A lot of people went into jail for just what they said or or what they believed, and that's, that's a grim scene. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, Turkey has been... Um, generous to the Syrian refugees, and, and, and that's, a, that's a positive spot on a not very generally bright scene. You mentioned the Kurds, and of course that is one of the factors behind Turkey's move into northern Syria. Does Imamulu's opposition party have a much different take on how to deal with the Kurds than Erdogan's ruling party? Uh, sure. Well, first of all, I should say that Turkey doesn't pre- I mean, target Kurds per se, but a faction among the Kurds, which is the PKK, which is Turkey's biggest headache. I mean, let's not forget that there's a Kurdish region in Iraq as well, the, the region of Iraqi Kurdistan. And Turkey doesn't have any hostility against that. Actually, quite the contrary. Turkey has had very good relations with the leader uh, of that Kurdistan region, Barzani, and, and his government. Uh, so, But in Syria, the, the Kurdish group that has been armed and has been powerful in, in Syria, that has been armed by the Western governments, by the way, against ISIS, is a YPG, which is an extension of PKK, which is for Turks, the terrorist group that, you know, bombing Turkish cities or attacking Turkish soldiers since 1984. And on that issue, I think President Erdogan's and the opposition party's take will not be very different. That's a kind of a national uh, thing. 
so a, a, a tough stance against the PKK is, I think, a common position. Although I believe this problem will be only solved through a peace process. Uh, but, uh, right, I mean, and, and President Erdogan actually tried a peace process. We should give him that as well. Uh, but to come back to your question, I think on that issue, you won't find a big difference between the opposition and the government. Turkey has long straddled east and west, and there really seems to be a tug of war now over Turkey between U.S. and Russia. And relations between Turkey and the U.S. and NATO are getting worse following the U.S. saying it will prevent Turkish forces from using F-35 stealth jets if Ankara buys Russian S-400 air defense systems. And Erdogan says the S-400 is directly linked to Turkey's sovereignty and they will not take a step back. How does the opposition party view NATO? Does it have as much antipathy for NATO as Erdogan does? Would it lean towards Russia as Erdogan is currently doing? Probably not. I mean, this pro-Russian uh, orientation of Turkey, which uh, began a few years ago, uh, is a kind of obsession now among some pro-Erdogan uh, people. And, and it's an orientation taken by President Erdogan. Uh, I think behind that, there is a very conspiratorial view of the world that the, whatever happens against Turkey these days or whatever problem President Erdogan faces inside Turkey is somehow a conspiracy cooked up by Western powers, the CIA, or some kind of dark powers out there always in the West, or Soros, you know, that, that sort of narrative. And that sort of anti-Western uh, narrative, worldview, conspiratorial understanding of the world uh, brought Erdogan and Putin close. Uh, and uh, there were other reasons, like on Syria, Turkey worked with Russia to find a solution to what's going on. But And, and Putin utilized that. And, and, and Putin offered to sell these missiles to Turkey, and Erdogan agreed with that without thinking much probably what kind of uh, impact would it have. Uh, between Turkey and its allies. And and I think maybe President Erdogan regrets now silently, but he's defiantly going for buying the Russian missiles, which will uh, further uh, strain U.S.-Turkish relations, as you well put. However, I should say that uh, there are people who think that this is a done deal. Turkey is now uh, moving away from the West and becoming an ally of Russia, and we should actually even hasten that by putting Turkey out of NATO. I don't agree with that. I think we should not catalyze this process furthermore, because I think the Erdogan era at some point will end. Uh, I mean, this is a extraordinary era in Turkish political history. It's an overreaction to the dominance of secularism and the seculars, let's say, for a century. Uh, it's a kind of aura like uh, Chavism or Peronism in Latin America. Ultimately, this, this will end at some point. And at that point, it is better to still have Turkey tied to the West, a member of NATO and some ties with Europe, rather than, uh, rather than a Turkey that has become uh, under the orbit of Russia. I know I'm asking the impossible to, to generalize, but how do you think the average Turk feels about leaning towards NATO or leaning towards Russia? I think the average Turk believes in, quote-unquote, full independence. You know, it's a, it's a very nationalistic country. Uh, and and that is in the national education, national psyche. And I think Turkey hasn't been fully, you know, able to move on from the collapse of the Ottoman Empire and this kind of power games in the world. Uh, however, I should say at this point, you know, moods change. The opposition has more sympathy for a orientation towards the European Union. Uh, U.S. foreign policy can be criticized and sometimes condemned. But on the other hand, there's 
there's the European Union with its human rights, with its bright economy, and so on and so forth. And the European Union itself lost some of its prestige, I should say. But I think there's more sympathy for EU among the opposition rather than uh, the government circles right now. Uh, and and I think the most, the biggest reason uh, towards distrust, uh, the biggest reason for distrust towards the U.S. has been the arming of the Kurdish militia in Syria, which was affiliated with the PKK. What's Erdogan's next move after this election? I think one thing Erdogan will try to do now is to clip the powers of these new mayors uh, that are from the opposition parties. Uh, take pay, take power away from them, give it to the central government by new laws and regulations. It already started, I think, that that process. And I wouldn't be surprised if he also tries to make them unsuccessful uh, in their new positions. Uh, so it is a very interesting experiment that uh, a country that has a long-time system of democracy, uh, free and fair elections, is now struggling with the authoritarianism of an elected government. The government calls this democracy because it's, it's been winning the elections. But when you look at freedom of the press, freedom of uh, speech, rule of law, Turkey has come to the level of Russia, at least I can say. Uh, I hope at the end of this turbulence, there might be a better Turkey by taking some lessons from the, from this bitter experience. And I think that's what we should all hope for, rather than thinking that Turkey is a lost cause. And I think last Sunday's elections was a signal saying us that Turkey is not a lost cause. Yes, it's it's come to a very disturbing point right now, but there are forces in Turkey that are also uh, willing to uh, bring more democracy and more freedom. The world will be watching closely, that is for certain. Mustafa, thank you very much for taking the time to join me today here on The Crisis Next Door. Very much appreciated to be on the show. Thank you. We've been joined by Mustafa Akil, senior fellow at the Cato Institute, as well as an opinion writer for The New York Times and author of The Islamic Jesus and Islam Without Extremes. Thank you for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.